sure nobody gets scammed into seeing some cut-rate copy van. Cut-rate copy van? This dude can't even tune his own guitar. Yeah, and you know, you could always use a little work on your lips. I don't live sake, asshole. You'd be doing everyone a favor if you did, Ashburn. You know, you oh could at least God. get the outfit right. I mean, your boots are from the Wasted Tour, and this is just like a cheap imitation of the Twisted Jacket. You are so fully wrong. Cocksmoker. This is official issue. The actual vest Bobby wore on the Twisted Tour. My dad bought it from someone who knows someone who knows Dragon's drum tech. Look, I hate to break it to you, but your dad got ripped. First of all, the lapels are supposed to be blue. There's no green in the embroidery. As a matter of fact, can anybody here honestly say that they've ever seen Bobby Beers with a jacket with red lapels? No, Chris. I don't think so. Life's the same. You're shaking like tremolo. Life's the same. It's all inside you. You know, I'm just a regular guy who grew up with the posters of these guys on my wall. And now I'm one of them. That's right. I'm standing here living proof that if you work hard enough and you want it bad enough, dreams do come true. So follow your dreams. I don't know why I didn't like that. I was going to do an English accent, but this is the Pool Scene Podcast. I'm Kevin. Also on vocals is my rock star co-host, Jim. Stand up and shout! That's good. Speaking of rock stars, this week we're going to be covering musical comedy drama. Rock star. I don't know where the comedy is in this at all. Not a lot. There's very little. What they make comedy out of is inappropriate to make comedy out of. You would think so. Not to steal Jim's thunder because we'll be discussing it momentarily, but this movie was released four days prior to 9-11. To be specific. I honestly always thought that this movie was made for VH1. Because that's the only place I ever saw it. And there's not so much production value or anything. There's other VH1 movies like this. So I literally always thought this was a VH1 movie. Tonight we pull back the curtain. This is behind the music. Steel Dragon. There you go. This movie was directed by Stephen Herrick, who we just talked about recently last season because he directed Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. So you can hear our thoughts on Stephen Herrick in that episode. Spoiler, they're positive because he has like a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, good CV. This movie is partially based on the story of Tim Ripper Owens, who went from a Judas Priest cover band or tribute band to lead singer of actual Judas Priest when Rob Halford left. Did not know how to make chicken wings so. and yeah and we ate at his chicken wing place in the akron area where he was from i actually ate at two of them and jim didn't john taffer go to <laughs> ripper owens place he uh he went to ripper's owens place and he ripped it a new asshole there you go it was bad he, tim ripped it a new asshole tim decided he needed a change of pace i've always tried to play this part of keeping the rock image of the guy who does have a movie loosely based off of him in rock star but wanted to stop touring as much i wouldn't come home to spend more time with my kids. So he banded together with Micah Poston, a local businessman with a vision of opening a bar. Originally, the project was titled Metal God, and I feel like deja vu from Almost Famous because Brad Pitt was originally cast in the lead role. Go figure. He's cast for everything, and Jennifer Aniston's in He dropped sense. out due to creative differences. If you remember, in Almost Famous, he spent months with Cameron Crowe and then was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Exactly. I don't get it. So this creative difference 
differences. Can't imagine what those were. Can we get Brad Pitt? I mean, it might be too late. Can we get Brad Pitt as a rock star? He keeps trying. <laughs> he took him aside and said, listen, why does he have an English accent from time to time? I don't do yeah. English accents. Maybe that's what it was. Something else that also dropped out was a ton of songs that were in the movie did not make the soundtrack like ACDC, Culture Club, Def Leppard, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and Good Vibrations by Marky Mark himself. Also, a song by Jennifer Aniston called Believe in Me. Do you remember that song that you wrote for me on my 15th birthday? No. Yes, you do. This is love, I know. Please, it's embarrassing. I will never stop believing. Are you done making fun of me yet? I love that song. She sings it, kind of. She sings for two seconds in the movie. And he's like, hey, would you shut the fuck up, okay? Mark Wahlberg spent months preparing for the role, but I love that most of that preparation <laughs> was literally just hanging out with rock stars like Vince Neil and going to concerts. It's just hanging out with Vince Neil. He basically hung out with Vince Neil and he went to concerts and that was his when preparation. When Vince Neil was still somewhat coherent. Yeah, when I get high, high on speed, fruity bar, go-go tub of What up? My honk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, please give us budget box office along with news and number ones at time of release. From WUAB Channel 43, where the news comes first, this is the 10 o'clock news. So Rockstar came out, as Kevin said, four days before the September 11th terrorist attack. It came out to a budget about an average about $44 million, made $19 million at the box office. Which is impressive. Considering what happened. Because, you know, in, in an alternate Earth somewhere in another universe, when Rockstar came out, September 11th happened, and then the people of America bonded together in unison to go see, see Rockstar, Rockstar, and it was the highest grossing film of all time. I found a thing online, according to the-numbers.com. On September 18th, this kind of went through the roof. It got a 27% increase at the movie theaters. And then three days later, 10 days after the attack, it went up 279%, made almost a million at the box office. Then the very next day, made $1.4 million at the box office. So it literally has these huge valleys and huge caves, man. I remember a lot exactly where I was during September 11th what happened that night I can remember like hundreds of cars at the gas station filling up like price gouging yeah I I, worked at Ponderosa that night but I can't really remember whether anything was closing or whether people were afraid to go to the movies I don't remember that part of it I remember the paranoia because people are like this isn't the end of it it's gonna get worse yeah yeah I remember people thinking like this is just one attack yeah but for instance on September 11th itself, this movie made $287,000 at the box office on September 11th. Was that prior to like 11 a.m. or? I don't know. But the next day, it made 448000 on September 12th. Really? Yeah. 50,000 people saw this movie on September 12th. 14th and the 15th, 1 million, 1.5 million on my birthday. So it's. Those people are on a list. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's like, what the hell? We have a national tragedy. I need to go see Mark Wahlberg be a cover band at least, fan. At least some of those people said, well, if we're all going out, I got to see this movie before I die. Hey, we all die young. There you go. There we go. Bad segue. The movies, the digital video discs, not Divix, that came out at Circuit City. Check out the Circuit City near you today. 13 Days, starring Kevin Costner, overseeing the 13 Days of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Personally, one of my favorite I movies. remember that. Love it. Oh. Takes a little bit of liberty, but it's still really good. Better or worse than Broken Arrow. Oh, don't put me in that position. I just That's heard missiles and... So rough. No, Broken Arrow's great. I'm it, sure 13 Days is great. I just haven't seen it. I don't think 13 Days had cool promotional sunglasses like Broken Arrow did. One thing that didn't have any promotional kit for anybody, the wedding planner. Yeah. Like, what do you a notebook with Jennifer Lopez's face on it and Scream 2. Why we needed okay. more all right, Scream all right, movies. All right. well, there, well, this is a perfect opportunity. What is your gripe with the Scream movies? It's just like it's predictable hack. I hated it. You you always say the Scream movies are garbage, but obviously there's now a hundred of them. A <sighs> series, another coming series. Why? More movies. I think they're awesome. See, I, I think love... the, first, the first movie, I remember actively enjoying it the first time I saw it. Then I'm like, oh, it's her boyfriend that did it. And then everybody's like, oh my god, it was her boyfriend. I'm like, yeah, I figured this out within the first five minutes. It's fucking Skeet Ulrich. Come on. Okay, Matthew Lillard, bit of a curveball with Billy. But other than that, I'm like, no. I watched Scream 2. I'm like, eh, whatever. Then Scream 3 was the bangs of Courtney Cox. And I'm like, those bangs, those baby bangs. Out of here. Forget about it. So what I did instead was see, there's some good shit going on in video games at this time. For instance, Kevin, did you know on August the 2nd, the second annual Dreamcast Championships featuring Crazy Taxi 2 came out? No. Were you at the Dreamcast Championship? No, but that's pretty interesting. On September 14th, Nintendo releases the GameCube. Three days after 9-11. Really? And now GameCube games are through the roof monetarily. Biggest collecting they thing right now. They wouldn't pause? No. It wouldn't be like, let's, let's halt a little bit on... No, not at all. Didn't stop them. This is CNN Breaking News. Cool Sceners editing Jim here. Yep, I screwed up. I'll openly admit it. The Japanese release of the GameCube was on September the 14th. We didn't get it here in North America until November the 18th. Sorry, guys. I realized as I was saying it, but then I just verified it. Yep, I messed up. This is CNN Breaking News. The Xbox is released on November the 15th. So 01 had a lot of big video game shit happening. Well, it's good to distract yourself from everything that happened. However, there were people that were chilling at home, not sure what's going on with the world. So they decided to play the number one song in America. And I've talked about it before. Blue Cantrell, Hit em Up Style. Yeah. The number one movie, I don't even remember this movie, The Musketeer, was the number one movie in America for the week of 9701. What is that movie? I'm assuming it has something to do with the three Musketeers, but only one of them. I have no idea. The Lone Rangers. Rangers. They're not exactly lone. Can't you be the three Rangers? So yeah, The Musketeer. The Musketeer was, yes, based on the three Musketeers, had Tim Roth, Mina Suvari, and how was that the number one movie? I have absolutely and you can't no idea. Say it was 9/11. This is the week before 9/11, so it's like 
the Musketeer. There wasn't anything else to choose from. Here's a very interesting thing. The number one television show at this time was a reality murder-based type show, solve a fictional murder, called Murder in Small Town X. This summer, Fox takes reality television where it's never gone before. Murder in Small Town X coming soon to Fox. The winner of this show, this is the irony thing, and this is why it's all tied in together. Angel Warbe Jr. Okay. He was a seven-year veteran of the New York City Fire Department. He was one of the first units to show up at the World Trade Center. He died on 9-11. Premise of it was a fictional who's done it. Wow. Died on 9-11, one of the first responders. So I said I was out on the Musketeer. I'm back in. Oh, God. Because, so it's directed by Peter Hyams. Peter Hyams, right, yeah. pretty large uh, filmography. The four movies he did directly before the Musketeer. So the, the four movies that got him the Musketeer. End of Days. Schwarzenegger. The Relic, which is a monster movie. It's a horror movie. Don't quote me because I can't remember exactly. Sudden Death, Time Cop. Dude. Those are the four movies he did directly before The Musketeer. So that dude deserved to have a number one movie. The question is, would we ever watch The Musketeer? I doubt it, but we will watch End of Days, The Relic, Sudden Death, and Time Cop. I totally agree. And with that is the end of the news because... September of 01, yeah. everything kind of stopped. The one thing it didn't stop was metal up your fucking ass. Back to Kevin. This movie had three taglines. It wasn't metal up your ass. Metal up your ass was not one <laughs> of them. Damn it. The most common one, the one we see often, the story of a wannabe who got to be. <sighs> yeah. Every guy wants to be you. Every girl wants to be with you. <laughs> wow. And then a quote pulled from the movie that was a tagline. I have to take a piss. Dream big, live the life. <sighs> That's almost like a Baker Dill catch the fish. Pretty much. Like type of thing. So. You know, rewatching this movie as we did before we recorded this year, I remember kind of really, really, really liking this movie a long time ago. Now I'm just like, it's ah, okay. It's my, average. My belief that this was a TV movie. This is a perfect TV movie. It is. This is not a movie that I will ever make the effort to put in a player. No. And watch. If this is on TV, totally watch it. If this came free with the family DVD player we bought, I'll check it out. Like a perfect murder came with the DVD player my parents yes. bought. Only time I ever watched it. Yeah. So I'm starting to think that about some of these movies that we watch is that they don't hold up like grind is the ultimate example. Oh yeah. But I think it's because we are making an appointment to watch them. There is an excellent point. There is a context. And if grind is on television, you watch it and you just turn it on wherever it's at and watch it. And you're not paying attention to it. it. Yes. But if I make an appointment to watch grind, put a DVD in, find it on a streaming service, not enjoyable. So some of these movies, Movies, I think are context. Yeah. And when we deep analyze Rockstar, there's a. Because there's very different experience between oh. watching a movie at the theater. Oh, yeah. Watching a movie on home release, whether it be streaming or DVD, or literally watching a movie on cable where it's just on the TV. I couldn't really imagine somebody going out saying, hey, we should go check out that Rockstar movie this weekend. Well, I, I definitely not me. No, I exist. didn't. And then the best setting to watch a movie, and Jim, you've never experienced this, watching a movie on an airplane. Yeah, I never because have. Because there's this some weird and it, it's a thing that people go through there's some 
like emotional connection you go through when you're at 30 or 40,000 feet watching a movie. That this could be the last thing you ever see. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's because of the danger. Can you, can you imagine it being fucking rock star is the no. last thing you ever see? No. All right. Well, let's fall down some steps into the plot. Our story begins in Pittsburgh in the mid 80s. You would never know that. Not at all. This movie is kind of time, like not timeless as in like it holds up forever, but like it's not dated properly. No. There's, it's kind of vague and ambiguous. So our story begins in Pittsburgh, mid-80s. Chris Cole is the world's biggest fan of a band called Steel Dragon. Those days were amazing, you know. Being a kid, you know, what else was I to do but to live the dragon, you know? I mean, I'd study the music note for note. I read every interview, copied every outfit, every move, you know, every look. And um, I think basically, you know, my pursuit of perfection was relentless because... I think at that stage, the music deserved that. Not to be confused with Iron Dragon, the roller coaster at Cedar Point. Something strange is in the air. The Iron Dragon. New this summer at Cedar Point. The Iron Dragon is a gruesome, gargantuan, mythological monster brought to life. This summer, travel at the speed of fright on the Iron Dragon at Cedar Point. The Iron Dragon. It's the only roller coaster that can fly. Although I wish Chris was the biggest fan in the world of Iron Dragon, and that was his character's motivation. How fucking amazing would that be? He's just the biggest fan of an arrow roller coaster. I love this roller coaster. Hey, did you hear they're redoing Top Thrill Dragster? And they might take sections of fucking Iron Dragon down? We can't let this happen, okay? So Chris likes Steel Dragon so much that he has a tribute band, not a cover band, a tribute band named after one of their songs called Blood Pollution. Rob, you're not nailing the squeal. I have no idea what you're talking about. Play it like that. That's a, that's a ping, not a squeal, man. It sounds just like the tape, man. No, raunchier. Again, please. That was great. Thank you. Is that the prereq for every cover band that their name has to be one of their songs? I think so. Because so the difference for those who can't figure it out on their own, a tribute band is usually in tribute to one specific band, like all Journey songs, all yeah. Motley Crue songs, all Pink Beatles, Floyd. Pink yeah. Floyd. Pink Floyd's a big one. Huge. Um, they do these at the Warren Amphitheater for free in the <laughs> summer. Cover band, usually a number of Phillbillies. There you go. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the world, the actual Steel Dragon fire their lead singer, Bobby Beers. They decide to begin a recruitment process, which we see very little of. One day, Chris gets a phone call from Steel Dragon's guitar player to audition, although he thinks he's being pranked. Wouldn't you? Yes, I would. All right, if this is Kirk Cuddy, I would you used to call your third wife. Third wife? We're going to talk about that old snag to me. All right, I called her Sugar Bum. Second wife as well, which is why the third wife left me. So now, just to keep things nice and simple, I affectionately refer to all ladies as Totty. Is that enough information for you? Oh my God, this is unbelievable. Hey, I was so sorry to hear about your dog, man. Oh, Pookie? Yeah, it was horrible. I mean, I, I sent flowers and a card and stuff, but I didn't get a response. But you know, I probably figured you guys are so busy anyway, it wasn't Look, a big deal. Look, can we get past so this is your life crap? One of the more important things, there's a ticket waiting for you at the airport for a flight to LA tomorrow. <sighs> 
Chris ends up at the audition and kills it and they hire him. I wouldn't necessarily say he kills it. I don't know. He kind of. Well, the problem is we only see one audition beforehand. We yeah. just, it'd have been great if we got to get a montage of mm-hmm. what showed up at this. Chris's audition doesn't start great. Oh no. But then it eventually works out. Although when they hire him, they change his name to Izzy. No purpose whatsoever. Izzy is now super famous and on tour. He's experiencing the lifestyle that comes with being a rock star. Like an English accent. Uh Uh-huh. Izzy slash Chris has a great girlfriend named Emily who's been very supportive, but she leaves him due to his new lifestyle of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. What? what, Who are you? Izzy. What is this? What? Izzy. You don't have to go. Call me Chris, okay? Oh. Don't. What? You don't have to call me is anymore. Call me Chris, okay? okay. Oh, Emily, wait. What? I'll go with you. Go with me where? I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go to Seattle. We're in Seattle, Chrissy. Six months later, when working on the new album, Chris feels disappointed that he really has no input or feedback in the band's decisions or direction. They only want him to sing the songs, so essentially a hired voice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you've been having some fun writing your songs. Well, actually, I busted my ass working on the songs. Yeah, but the tunes for the new album, they've already been written. What do you mean? Well, AC and I wrote them during the break. Well, look, I know you and AC do most of the writing. Not most the- of the writing, all of the writing. Yeah, but shouldn't I have some input? I mean, I'm part of the group now, right? I'm the one that has to sing the tune, so you'd think you'd at least want me to put my stamp on them. Is. I mean, I'm not just... You guys aren't just expecting me to be some singer for hire, are you? Shortly after this, while at a concert, Chris pulls a fan on stage to sing, and then Chris walks off stage and quits. Thor. Thor, yep. Chris moves to Seattle, starts a band with his former bandmate from Blood Pollution, Rob, but it's not another metal band. They've went soft. He's cut his hair. They both cut their hair. I just think one day I realized it wasn't for me anymore. You know? I was wearing the clothes and singing the songs. It just didn't feel right. I just wanted to find myself, find my own music. They ditched the leather for sweaters. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great name for a coffee house band. What? Ditch the leather for sweaters? Ditch the leather for sweaters. Uh, Leather sweaters. Oh, man. This is knitted leather. They now sing original songs in coffee shops. <laughs> it's fucking so good. You wouldn't want to get that wet. You caught no. a rainstorm with a knitted leather sweater. It's my chunky leather sweater. <laughs> Stand um, up and Old shout. Navy, brother. Emily, who lives in Seattle, <sighs> sees a flyer for the show and comes where they, so where they're playing at this coffee shop, like she comes and sees them. The film ends with them speaking in audible words to each other. I can't make out what they're saying. Fucking speaking carny. Uh, I don't know. I think the one part he says like Crunkle. And then she's yeah. Call forever. And then they kiss and the movie ends for un- some unknown reason. There's a mid credit scene showing that Bobby Beers, the former singer of Steel Dragon, oh. has taken up Irish dancing, river dance. All right, let's get into characters. Mark Wahlberg as Chris Izzy Cole. I eat a little pussy. Loads of it. I eat a little pussy. Tons. Got more voice eating pussy, man. It's like a vocal technique exercise. I got eating pussy, man. Loads of it. All the time. Tons. It's all I do. Breakfast, morning, no night. Got to have it, man. 
That's all I do is eat pussy. Again, the only casting information I had is that it was Brad Pitt and he dropped <laughs> out. Jennifer Aniston seemed to be the first and only choice. She plays Emily. She is also the manager of Blood Pollution. Timothy Oliphant has robbed the guitarist of Blood Pollution. Love Timothy Oliphantastic. The drummer of Blood Pollution is Blas Elias, who is the drummer from Slaughter. Nick Cantonese as Xander Cummins, the guitar player from Blood Pollution, is actually the real guitar player from Black Label Society with Zach Wild. And then Ricky Bell is the bass player. Well, I, I'm sorry, he plays Ricky Bell, the bass player. It's Brian Vander Ark from Verve Pipe. Yeah. So, like, everybody, all the musicians in this movie are like mid 90s bands. Steel Dragon, we have. Jason Fleming as Bobby Beers, Timothy Spall as Mats, which you know him as Wormtail from Harry Potter, Dominic West as Kirk Cuddy, The Wire. He's Jimmy McNulty from The Wire. Jason Bonham as AC, the son of John Bonham. Yeah, and I think Jason Bonham may have played with Foreigner, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. You're right about that. Zach Wild is Goad. He is from Ozzy Osbourne's band, a number of other bands, Black Label Society, and so on. Jeff. Wilson is Jorgen. He is the bass player from Dawkins. Hell yeah. So interesting. The spouses, Kara Zedeker as Marcy. She's Rob's girlfriend. Heidi Marcus Kirk's wife, which is Vince Neal's ex-wife. Rachel Hunter is AC's wife. Stacy's mom. A real life girlfriend of Kip Winger, ex-wife of Rod Stewart. Carrie Stevens as Goad's wife, longtime girlfriend of Kiss's Eric Carr. They never got married before he died. And then Amy Roll is Jorgen's wife. And then Stephen Jenkins. Yeah. Is plays the singer of the rival cover band, a rival tribute band. And then Miles Kennedy as Thor. He's the singer of Alter Bridge. Bridge. I think there's some other cameos. Some other people pop up here. But I think another big one that we will talk about later, folks. Tanya, the one from Succession. Yeah, sure. We got to unbox that. Yeah, that's going to come up because it is. We have no idea. It is Dogmara Dominchek. So, Jim, with that said, which actor or actress gives a passive performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? You know, going into this initially, I was going to say Matt's. But the more and more I think about it, it's Timothy Olafantastic. His character throughout the every one of these characters is the only one that makes logical oh, yes. sense. Yes. He literally tells Chris right off the bat, hey, I want to be more than just a fucking cover band. I want to be more than just friends. He's the best one. He makes the most sense. I love Matt's because Matt's in the end gives Chris the push he needs to leave the band to be his own thing. Yes, I agree. I I don't know. I mean, this is like, like rewatching this. It did not hold up like it used it's to. It's tough. There's there's like little pieces. Like no one ever gets enough in this movie. And like, but it's also a little bit too much going on. And like, like even when Marky Mark gets it, he just sounds like a, a, a kid that's pouting oh or yeah. a spoiled child. What was that, man? What what? There's no solo break after the chorus. They don't care. Ah! That's not how the song goes. Dude, I know how the song goes. Well, if you know how it goes, then play it right. Chris, you are taking this shit too seriously. That's right, I take this shit really seriously because the music deserves to be taken seriously. If you don't take it seriously, you don't deserve to play it. All right, you need to get a grip. Let it go. Yeah. You ruined your performance. Do not ruin mine. Yeah, so I'll say uh, Glenn Goulia. 
<laughs> the cop. He's literally in this movie, he yeah. plays uh, Chris's brother. I don't necessarily like him, but that's just who I just thought of. Can we all agree it's just a little bit twisted that you're still living at Come home on. stealing Ma's makeup? Who the hell's Brad and Grinch to me? Christ, Dad, how much longer are you going to put up with this bullshit? That's what I thought. Isn't a rock star fantasy thing something you're supposed to grow out of, like, around 14? Oh, maybe if I get really lucky, I'll get to grow up and listen to Air Supply and wear jackboots. I like you. What's wrong with air supply? Let's move to best scenes, find out which scenes made a splash. And I'll go first and I'll say the iconic scene from this movie for me, the one thing I always remembered, Chris falling off the stairs bleeding at their first concert. Really no need for so it. So when he plays his first show and we don't see any rehearsals, auditions, anything getting ready. We don't even know where it is. No, we have no idea. So Chris slash Izzy is ascending up this big elevator because he's going to start at the top of this not quite spiral staircase but, but almost like yeah. staircase and he's got to kind of walk down the stairs while he stings stand up and shout and he makes it three quarters of the way yeah. I mean the stairs are also on like an elevated platform to where he needs to be. got some height so he's singing the first song. This is his introduction. The, the crowd, there's fans of the crowd holding signs that like say, bring Bobby back. Yeah. They want the old singer back. So he makes it maybe three quarters of the way down the stairs and he trips. He steps down funny on a stair, does about 90% of a flip and lands on the stage, stands oh. up eventually concussed cover, concussed covered in blood no idea what he's doing and then he gets up and he resumes singing but it's just i don't know there's something about it just really funny Ironically, Maybe that's where the comedy is. The funny thing, I think character wise, if it's not for that moment where he gets back up fully concussed because that's how they filmed it with the sound and the slow-mo and a crimson mask, he ends up gaining much more respect from the crowd. The, yes. They almost treat this scene like his arrival. Right. But like the way they shoot in a war movie when like a grenade or like an IED goes off, you hear like the <laughs> whistling and like everything's kind of blurry. Stroke. Yeah, he's, stroke. he's looking around and he's just like hearing like whistling. I mean, that's kind of how this scene shot. But yes, he stands up covered in blood and he's like, you want to kick some ass or like whatever he says. And the crowd loves it. They eat it up. For some reason, they have a fire hose that stand by and he just starts fucking hosing down Bobby Beard's fans. Yeah, it makes no, they just have a fire hose that they're able to bring out. My first one, and I brought it up briefly with Timothy Fantastic, is Chris leaves blood pollution. We're only doing dragon covers to get people in the door so they can hear our originals because we're tired of just being a cover band. We are not a cover band. We're a tribute band. No, dude. We are a cover band. The problem is we've been covering the tunes. You think you're in goddamn Steel Dragon. I love you, man, but you're mental. You really are. You need to get a grip on reality, man. You don't know where Bobby Beers ends, and you begin. Yeah. I'm mental. I'm only mental because I don't want to be in some cheesy bar band that butchers the music people came to hear just to trap men to listen to your crappy originals. Crappy originals? Yeah. Well, I think Hole and a Half kicks ass. I'm proud of shit to have written it. I guess that's why we got so many requests for it. 
don't make me feel like shit just because you're too scared to write your own song. Him, Timothy Olafantastic, are always at odds because they had this big show at this abandoned factory that I'm going to talk about in Logic. He decides to start doing his own guitar solo and it pisses Chris off. And he's like, hey man, that's not how the song goes, okay? We got to do this okay. We got to do it the right way. And he doesn't want to hear it. He ends up throwing a fucking temper tantrum and breaking his martial amp and they have a fight on stage, which we're led to believe this isn't the first fight they've got yeah. to on stage yet they somehow get more and more fans they decide the band without his knowledge goes to the third eye blind singer who is in a rival cover band there are two rival bands the steel dragon within the same city it's like a fucking civil I war i didn't know their name but it's also just the name of another steel it, dragon song. it's the name of a steel dragon song we see them putting flyers on cars steel dragon concert ripping their flyers off cars so they end up going behind his back and getting the lead singer of that cover band without telling him and of course he's acting like a baby timothy olafantastic said hey he brought his all of his new <laughs> he gear the PA, and he brought the soundboard the mixer and then marky mark just starts getting like a fucking child and doesn't want to hear anything timothy olafantastic proceeds to tell him listen i want to be more than a cover band i have original songs he wants to play and all marky mark does is just belittle everything he says because he wants to be a cover band timothy olafantastic wants to be more and that's why i said he is the only logical character throughout this entire movie because he's the one that gets it however they have this big falling out but when they have the live news conference from around the world i guess it's carried on cnn msnbc and everything he does have a smile he's like he yeah. finally made it yeah he's happy for his, his friend and, and what we missed the two cover bands fight outside of the actual steel dragon concert what i wouldn't have given to be like a bystander and you just see two cover bands fighting in a yeah. fucking parking lot so it's like soft logic but what what so did he did steven jenkins willingly leave the other because he knows that's the thing no exposition yeah did did he leave the other one because he knows blood pollution's better did he get fired and join that one and we've mentioned this god we're almost on 150 episodes but we've mentioned this time and time again a five to ten second throwaway yeah. line of exposition could explain why he yes. left the other band yeah because it could have been chris could have told timothy oliphant we got to stick to the songs and he could have been like, well, he likes it, which is why he left the other band to come be with us. That's it. Just it's say, he quit it. and why didn't Chris go work for the other band? Then why did they just trade singers? It would have been just a trade off. We'll give you Aaron Rodgers. You give us this. Yeah. But I would like to have seen like a scene where the other band is waiting for him. Steven Jenks is show up and they just, he never shows yeah. up. Yeah. There you go. Been great. I have when Chris shows up for his audition with steel dragon and Bobby Beers shows up. You think I'm bringing some, Child to replace me, do you? You want to do your own thing? We're going to let you go. Tell me what you're doing here. You're firing me. Calm down, Bobby. You calm down, you wanker. It's because I'm gay, isn't it? Okay. No, I got both my nipples pierced. Bought a house in Morocco because I'm John fucking Wayne. Have you, have you ever listened to the lyrics of stand-up? Did you really think that Kim was a girl? Kim was a guy. Yeah, Kim was a guy. He also happens to be my lover. Oh. They they call Chris. He doesn't believe it. It's Cuddy. He hangs up on him, hangs up on him again. He shows up for the audition. He brings his girlfriend. They're just like in the studio with Steel Dragon. And everybody's just like there. It's probably so nerve wracking. And in the middle of like introducing each other and meeting the band, which he doesn't really need to do because he knows everything there is to know about him. Bobby Beers shows up. 
He kind of crashes the party. It's really kind of uncomfortable. It's probably beyond uncomfortable for Chris because you find out basically the reason that they kick Bobby Beers out of the band is because he's gay. This movie, in a way, is very, very gay bashing. Yes, it absolutely is. To the point it's uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, it's weird because Chris is kind of like a Mark David Chapman. Like, Oh, God, yeah. He, I think, That's li- perfect. literally wants to like either join this band or kill them. Well, do you remember when he was on the phone with Cuddy's like, hey man, sorry to hear about your dog, man. Yeah. And, and Cuddy's like, what? Cuddy's like, stop. You fucking weirdo. So literally at one point, Timothy Oliphant says to him, like, we don't know where Chris ends and Bobby Beers begins. So for Chris to be finding this out in real time, Ugh. that Bobby Beers is gay, he's being kicked out of the band. And wears a wig. He wears a wig. And that's almost like more shocking than anything. Why? And Bobby Beers is like trying to like spew some advice Adam about like you don't really know what you're getting into and then Chris auditions he sucks at first but then he does a great job they hire him you know like this like everything else in this movie you don't really get enough they kind of like miss the sweet spot on everything yeah we need to see other singers auditioning we needed to see him do a couple of songs instead we get to see him do like a piece of one song and they're just like you're hired so my last one is I love the relationship between Chris and Matt's Matt's is the one who like like I said, they have this heart to heart in a bar. Well, one day we're sitting in the pub, right? Having lunch, me and the wife, you know. I needed to take a piss, so I stood up, walked to the toilet, you know, in the bathroom. I'm standing there just staring at the wall, as you do. Uh, and all of a sudden, something came over me, you know, like a fear. My whole life had already been laid out for me, you know, that, that I'd finish my studies, get a job, you know, I'd be working for somebody else, you know, worrying about things that didn't fucking matter, you know. So I walked out of there, kept going. Where they're sitting here and having a heart to heart, and Matt's is basically telling them, Hey man, I had to do this, this, and this to make peace with myself. Yeah. And it basically leads to Chris handing the mic off to a fan in the crowd, aka Thor, the lead singer of Alter Bridge. And I'll go ahead and say that is actually my my last scene is is when Chris pieces out of the band. Doing all right? You better, Matt. Taking a night off, eh? Maybe I'll take a piss. Yes, take a piss because he says, yes, take a piss. He realizes he's no longer happy. Basically, as soon as he realizes like he's not a true equal member of the band, like they're literally using him for his voice, which is something he never wanted. Like he was in a Steel Dragon cover band where all he ever wanted was to be an exact ripoff of Steel Dragon. But then when he's in Steel Dragon, that's literally what he gets the opportunity to do until he's like, I thought I was a member of this band. He wrote songs. He realizes, yeah, where Rob was coming from so basically he just like sees this kid singing which is a, a throwback to the beginning of the movie when we almost get like the inverse scene of it's chris who's in the crowd and bobby beers sees him singing yeah and then but bobby beers never pulls chris up on stage but at the end chris pulls thor on stage and basically gets him a microphone and then chris leaves and i guess apparently thor finishes the concert the band doesn't care who this kid is no. he can sing it's a voice 
Yeah. Whatever. They could have a different singer every night. Doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. All right. With that said, there's got to be a pool in this one, right? Oh, my God, there is. It's a rock star life. I'm pretty sure there's a pool. Yeah, I think it's a hotel pool. Hey, guys, guess what? I'm a rock star. So Jim recently saw an article. Who is that from? Guitar World Magazine. Guitar World Magazine determined who they believe are the five greatest guitar players of all time. I remember when I used to get Rolling Stone, which we talked about during Almost Famous, I remember them releasing the issue about the greatest, the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. Very subjective. And it was very opinion. controversial yeah. because I remember they put like Jack White very, very high. And this was like 2003 or something. So it was like way too early to put someone that new on. Anyway, I should disclose the Guitar World magazine said Brian May of Queen, the greatest guitarist of all time. And Brian May came out. He had an interview and he said, listen, I appreciate it. But he's like, I'm nowhere near the greatest guitar player. I love it. Thank you for giving me notoriety. But then he started going down the lit and he's like, oh, you know, X is the better than me. He's better. I've learned a lot from him and I've taken stuff from him to put into my guitar. So yeah, good for Brian May. But um, still. Brian May's a good one. Oh yeah. My list. He's on a list. So Jim, he's on a list of people who saw Rockstar after <laughs> September 11th. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> I went first in, did I go first in best season? Yeah, you did. I don't even remember. You go first <laughs> in. Uh, you got that California sickness. I do in uh, top guitarists. So my number five, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. One of the greatest of all time. And we're throwing it to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The fucking riff alone to Cashmere. Yeah. It's just, it's iconic. <sighs> Jimmy Page is a great guitar player, but the reason I can't put him on my list is because... I know where you're going with this. I have a feeling. What? Puff Daddy? No. <laughs> oh, damn it's it. It's because of Puff Daddy was a better <laughs> guitar player. No, it's because Led Zeppelin gets a lot of credit for a sound that, I mean, in fairness, almost every big famous band and all of like the iconic bands of all time borrowed their sound and very rarely did they create the sound. Like Elvis Presley, one of the biggest recording artists of all time, did nothing original. Yeah, he took from Forrest Gump. Yeah, he took it from Forrest Gump, exactly. (laughs) Led Zeppelin was kind of the same. I mean, there were bands like, there's a band called Leaf Hound and there's like all these other bands in the late 60s and early early seventies who were already like leaning into that Led Zeppelin sound. Now that doesn't mean that Led Zeppelin didn't write iconic riffs, oh, yeah. iconic songs and stuff. It's just for me, like they, they borrowed that sound. They didn't invent it. Cause I'm a fucking snob. <laughs> uh, I'm such a snob that my number five is Carlos Santana. Nice. He Good call. Pioneered the Latin jazz rock and roll sound. He grew up idolizing Richie Valens. They moved to, I want to say the San Francisco area, but the only reason I put him on my list is because because of the Woodstock story. And I wanted to talk about it. Santana, the band basically had their big breakthrough at the original Woodstock. But the story goes that Carlos had taken a bunch of LSD and he thought his guitar was a snake for the entire set. So basically watching him like rip these gnarly guitar solos, he thought he was wrestling a snake. That's fucking so, awesome. That's awesome. And then there was 1999 Supernatural, which had Smooth with Rob Thomas. You know, let's be honest. If it wasn't for Rob Thomas, there'd be no Carlos Santana. Yeah. And then Maria Maria with the product GNB. And wasn't Wyclef on that song? Wyclef too? was. Wyclef was on that song. And then I also thought Game of Love with Michelle Branch was on that album, but actually it was on his next album. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't either because I was just like, oh, Santana now is just making. I like Michelle Branch. Yeah. He's just making songs with all these other artists. But yeah, iconic Rob Thomas. We didn't get that Carlos Santana, Britney Spears crossover. Man, it's a hot one. My number four 
is I think a guy who literally does not get the credit he deserves. It's Ingve J. Malmsteen. Yes. That fucking dude can shred. Yeah. And for the longest time as a kid, I'm like, why is he called Ingve? Oh, he must be from Youngstown. <laughs> Because Ingve Young, Youngstown, whatever. Okay. I'm an idiot. Whatever. You heard the Slim Short. You know so, what kind of idiot I am. Ingve, though. like I can't name a song. No, that's I'm what sorry. I mean. Like, he was just known as a great guitar player. He could shred. He wasn't really known for being like attached to like any iconic band. It's yeah. not like he was like Ingve and X is the singer or whatever. Ingve and Michelle Branch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it didn't work for him when he tried to do it. Yeah. He did Vanessa Carlton. It was Ingve <laughs> and Vanessa Carlton <laughs> going up against him. They had a fight in a parking lot. It was a fucking mixed tag. There you go. My number four accidentally invented heavy metal. Tommy Iommi. Oh, yeah. So he worked at a sheet metal factory and was in an accident where he lost the tips of his finger, which is funny because when you read about it, it says it was his last day at work. I'm like, well, no shit. He cut off the tips of his finger. <laughs> it came over. It's not like it's like the joke. I don't know whose it is. It's like, oh, it's George Carlin. It's um, it was the last place I looked. It's like, well, of course it was, because if you found it, you wouldn't keep looking. Exactly. But uh, on his last day of work, he was in an accident. He lost the tips of his middle and his ring fingers. So he's basically told he'd never play the guitar again. They were like, you can try and switch hands, but he decided against it. He put caps on his fingers. So basically like these custom thimbles and it made it difficult to play because he couldn't feel the strings. Yeah. So the caps, he would like, he ended up pressing the strings way too hard. So basically he got lighter gauge strings, which at the time didn't exist. He was like temporarily using banjo strings until they basically invented lighter gauge strings for him to work. And then he started tuning his guitar lower to allow more slack in the strings. So basically all of those things allowed him to play guitar. But in the process, it was a trade-off that literally invented that Black Sabbath sound sound so yeah. other bands started like tuning you know down tuning their guitars and stuff to sound like black sabbath but black sabbath had to do it because tommy iomi was missing fingers so my number three fucking prince man my I number mean, three is also prince prince just oh my god we were privileged enough to experience prince throughout the majority of our lives and then he had the best super bowl halftime show of all time but for me as a kid knowing that prince did the batman soundtrack party man and all this shit but oh my god purple rain there's so many hits i think prince is oh. responsible for the greatest guitar solo of all time so at the 2004 rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremony he joined basically they did this tribute to george harrison who had passed away and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame basically invited Prince to be in this thing. And George Harrison's family were like, why? They were like, why Prince? And Prince did not know While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Didn't know one of the iconic Beatles yeah. songs, which is so funny. But despite all of that, despite the family not wanting Prince, despite Prince not knowing the song, it's a real long version. If you have a moment, go to YouTube and watch it. Just watch, look up Prince While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But you've got George Harrison's son, Danny Harrison and as Prince is fucking shredding you're waiting for his guitar to catch on fire Danny Harrison's face just keeps getting bigger and bigger he looks like a black hole sun face yeah. like and then at the end of the solo Prince just throws his guitar in the air uh, hopefully someone was there to catch it I would hope and at one point he's leaning backwards off the stage and they kind of have to push him back on stage. It is incredible. And it's like, it just keeps getting better. You're like, oh my God, this is great. And then it just keeps building and building. 
unbelievable. A guy that was notorious for being a very small stature dude. Yeah. He wore lifts. Guy who was so small that was larger than life that he made up for with that guitar. Jesus Christ. Paisley Park. One of the best ever. My number two. And this is where I had complications. But then I was thinking logically. My number two. Eddie Van Halen created tapping. You just listen to Eruption and you sit there and just your mind is blown. Like I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I had Eddie as number one. Okay. So Eddie was the master of riffs. He was never taught how to read music. As Jim said, he invented the tap tapping technique. Yep. It's so weird because Kiss, who we we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, Gene Simmons from Kiss is actually kind of responsible for Van Halen because Van Halen was trying to make it as a band and literally like you can go read about it. They were ready to like sign all their rights over to their career to signing like a 10 year sponsorship with a yogurt company. Yeah. Right before Van Halen won. Yeah. And Gene Simmons was like, no. And Gene Simmons got them squared away, got them like, you know, a deal and pushed in the right direction. And then the rest is history but eddie van hill just an incredible guitarist it's such like, an iconic sound um yeah and you talking about love like <sighs> all of those like pound cake yeah so many of those songs just have that iconic sound so good my number one is Jimi hendrix my number two is Jimi hendrix see that see i was gonna go the way you did but i was thinking Jimi hendrix was such a revolutionary when it came to the sound of that guitar you ask anybody it's either jimmy or eddie's one two yeah two, well one. so it's it's a toss you can up. throw in some of the blues guitarists yeah bb king, king and you know stevie ray vaughn oh god like, yeah yeah there's was that michelangelo that played the four guitar that played the rib burn off yeah. <laughs> Not really. I'm not Mark Tremonti from Creed. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix was born Johnny Allen Hendrix, but he changed his name to James Marshall Hendrix. Jimmy. I have no idea. Whatever. Most people, like Jim said, would consider the greatest guitar player of all time. On Rolling Stones' top under guitar player, he's number one. Popularized the use of what previously was considered to be unwanted or undesirable guitar sounds. So basically, he would use feedback to his advantage. And previously, Obviously, no one was doing that. Fucking like voodoo child, trying man. to yes, trying to avoid God the uh, feedback. But like Kiss nudging Van Halen in the right direction, Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, also a great guitarist uh, in his own right, he had seen Jimi Hendrix play and was and I don't remember what his band was called at that time. It was like Smoking Jay and the Bluebirds or something. It was something weird. Yeah. And he was so impressed by Jimi Hendrix playing that they became friends. And Keith basically went to bat for Jimmy and like shopped Jimi Hendrix to all of these record labels and stuff. And most of them passed, but finally someone saw what Keith saw. And then uh, you have one of the most famous rock and roll photos ever. It's the image of Jimmy's guitar on fire. Yeah, It's from the uh, Monterey pop festival. It's kind of cool. Honorable mention, just a couple Dwayne Allman. Yeah. And then his nephew, Derek trucks. Oh, yeah. Derek Chuck's yeah. incredible. Pete Townsend from The Who, Neil Young, Angus Young from ACDC. Yeah. Just talk about style, you know? Any honorable mentions? Ryan Cabrera. <laughs> <laughs> This is such a subjective list. Everybody can name somebody different. That's what it's so great about making lists like yeah. this. I mean, we could do one about drummers and we'll be totally different than anybody else. But that's why I figured it was a good idea to do this list. Okay, perfect. Let's get back in the pool. And then I've got a, I've got a critical question for you. Hey, you know, I when they brought me on and I kicked the shit out of Brad Pitt and I ended up in this. I was like, I can play guitar too, okay? <laughs>
All right, critical question. Who is the best replacement band member of all time? Sammy Hagar Van Halen. Some would say that, yeah. yeah. Sold uh, more records than Dave, sorry. Van he's Hagar. a cop. <laughs> uh, you have Brian Johnson, ACDC, replacing Bon Scott. Yeah. Ronnie James Dio and Black Sabbath's pretty awesome. Although that one's, that's a tough sell. Kirk Hammett replacing Dave Mustaine and Metallica. Oh God. <laughs> Dave's going to cry about yeah, it, but listen to that one. The swim meet series we did on that. Yeah. There's a, there's a ton. I mean, it, it's mostly Travis Barker. Wasn't the original drummer of blink 182, but honestly blink 182 may not exist. Cause Travis has always been known as like such an incredible drummer. And, and he's like an iconic part of their sound. I guess if we're going to include blink 182 or we throw him Matt Skiba in there too now. Yeah. But could. even though they're all back together again, right? Hoppus yeah. and DeLong and yeah. Yeah, but I, I think you could. I mean, if you really liked the uh, Skiba Blink-182. Yeah, there's a ton. I mean, but I don't, I think it's usually probably frontmen yeah. and guitarists because like Red Hot Chili Peppers, they almost never have the same guitar player twice. It's usually John Frusciante, another guy, John Frusciante, <laughs> another, another guy. guy, John Frusciante. What's that other, the Ink Master host? Uh, oh, Dave Navarro. Dave Navarro. Couldn't think of his name. Dave Navarro. Sausage. Yeah. And then. <laughs> John Vrashanti, Dave Navarro, <laughs> some other guy, sausage, Matskiba, sausage. Uh, <laughs> so, sausage, sausage. That's how he pronounced S O S S I T C H. Sausage, sausage. I'm like, I love you, Dave Navarro. His name is Sausage. Yeah, this is spelled normal. Yeah, sausage. All right. Well, never been a more appropriate time to <laughs> cue Mr. David McCall for our logic. <laughs> hey, sausage. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. <laughs> sausage forever. Oh, I got, I got um, a lot of logic. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton, but I mean, my first big issue with this movie is because it happens multiple times. How could a singer hear someone in the crowd singing? Even if you're in the front row, you can't hear Even it. Even if you're in the front row screaming, the amount of space between the singer and the front row, as far as you can tell, they're not wearing earplugs or Which anything. They, they should be. Of, they're in front of a wall of amps. I've been to metal concerts yeah. and I couldn't hear for two or three damn days. And like these people after nights in a row of this can hear people in the front row. They have permanent tinnitus yes. in both ears. And then there's multiple scenes in this movie where people just talk to each other on stage in a normal voice. Yeah, which is fine. There's the the scene where Chris and Timothy Oliphant, Rob, are just having a conversation over the guitar solo at a normal volume while everyone's playing and stuff. It's crazy. Hey, that's not how the solo goes, man. Yeah. Who cares? They love it anyways. Speaking of that scene, how much did that concert at the factory cost? They are a cover band. Somehow they got permission from the city and the cops to put on a cover band show at a full-on factory. I don't know if it's a metal factory or what. They have a huge production setup. They have Marshall stacks. They're a fucking cover band. You're thinking a cover band. They might maybe. Yeah. Maybe. If this is 1985, which that's another logic issue because we don't know what fucking year it should look like. Right. In 1985, you're as a band, you're probably getting a hundred bucks at a bar and you split it amongst the five guys, right? Yeah. Where are they getting this money from? I, I, that's, they don't, Emily's they don't not rich. Have jobs. His family's not rich. His you brother think is they a cop. They all have nine to fives. You would think. 
I mean, I really that's don't a, know. We're talking even in 85 money, you know. Here we go. Here's a logic thing, because this either answers your question or creates a bigger okay. poll. There's way too many people at the cover shows. So if they're way getting a percentage of the door, like they're very rich. Oh, big but time. like there's way too many people, not just period, but like definitely for a cover band and not just a cover band. Like people will go see cover bands at bars that have wings. Yeah. And it might be 50 people. Fucking Phil Yes. But they're a cover band of they're a tribute band of a band that still exists in tours. Yeah. So like, hey man, real Steel Dragon just came through. Why do I want to go see fake Steel Dragon? Exactly. But, and there's two cover and bands. There's two fake Steel Dragons two in the same fakes. city. A thousand people come. But okay, a thousand people, if it's five bucks a head, it's five thousand dollars. Maybe they're just playing like a Maybe they just set their shit up at this factory. I don't know. But like. But their cops are there. You see them in the background. I have no idea. Why don't the other dudes in blood pollution just start another band? Like. Yes. They're very mad that they don't have the freedom to change the Steel Dragon songs. They want to add solos and do things a little differently. Here's an idea. You guys get together to rehearse and play the songs and play shows. How about you guys? guys also practice original songs well the thing is though chris even makes fun of rob because rob makes his own original songs and he even calls him shit yeah it's like fuck you but karma comes back and bites his ass and i just don't i just don't get it like just start a band yeah play okay play the steel dragon songs but also have a band with the same guys of original songs what is that going to do to hurt your cover band aura nothing fuck off leon's will bring you in why does Christine to have an English accent is Izzy. He breaks kayfabe with that accent during the initial opening press conference. It seems to be covered by yeah. everybody around the world. It's live news. Because he it's the Kofi Kingston thing on Monday Night Raw for you wrestling fans. He was Jamaican, then all of a sudden on Monday Night Raw, he comes out and talks normally. And yeah. Orton goes, wait a minute, or no, Triple H. Weren't you Jamaican? There's a scene where he's literally talking about eating pussy. On the live televised conference. In an English accent. Like, you couldn't say that yeah. as an American. Right. Whatever. I So, how did Cuddy get the video of Chris singing? So, And this is at the factory. Yes. So, Chris, this is like uh, the thing in the movie that needs explained the most to me. is like, Steel Dragon needs a new singer. Somehow, they just have a tape of this guy in a tribute band. Yeah, there were two girls. You see, it's quick. They're holding a camcorder, front row filming him. Show a picture of them mailing it off to somebody. But yeah, like, why are they filming a tribute band unless, you know what I mean? Like, were they sent there to do that? Are they just doing it for their own selves? And then even if they are doing it for themselves, how did it get to Steel? It just makes no sense. Like, But somehow we skip a bunch of steps. Steel Dragon has a copy of the tape and they're watching it and it I'm like, how? How do they have a tape? Makes no sense. So I brought this up earlier, and I think this is a great place to cover it in logic. Chris and his girlfriend, they start living the rock star life. They end up having a hotel orgy. But we see a scene where Tanya, who we think is either like band management. Oh, yeah. Or she's a girlfriend of well, one of the guys. She in the is band. the one. So when Cuddy calls Chris to say, we saw your tape. We want you to audition. She corrals him. I have a ticket for you at the airport. Well, all we see is that she's in the limo. So she is in an official capacity working for the Speaking band. Speaking for the band. In some way. So we get a scene where she is in the bathroom taking a piss, but standing taking yes. a piss. So it's revealed that 
Tanya has a penis. She has a penis. Yes. But the one thing I have is the band was so pissed that Bobby Beers came out. Do they know? I think Tanya is the classic star fucker. Okay. I don't think that she necessarily has this insane attraction to Chris. I think it's just Chris is the new rock star. And I think that they've all been down that road with her. Leading me to think they know. And there's definitely no issue with who Tanya is. No. I just don't understand why there needed to be a thing about it in this movie. There's really no purpose for it. it. It's apples to oranges. They're against their singer being gay, but very okay with. They have to know. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be careful on how. Yeah. Because I don't want to misspeak. No, exactly. But it's just a weird thing to put in the movie. This would be something to listen to the commentary of the movie to see what they say over this. Like, what was the decision being made? Why, why did they do it? Like, yeah. Why did they? I don't know. I don't know why they made that decision, but yes. Yeah. So at the party, okay, they have this night they can't remember. They drink all night. They're in a club. They end up in the hotel. They have a giant orgy with a ton of people. But if you've ever woke up from a night you can't remember, because, okay, the first thing that Jennifer Aniston does, that Emily does when she wakes up is she has to look under the sheets to see if she has clothes on. That tells you how drunk she is or how hungover, whatever. Quaaludes or something. You would know if you had clothes on, I think. I would feel them. So she doesn't know if she has clothes on. She has to look. So she gets up. If I, the times I've been, and I don't know how many times, but the times I've been so drunk that I don't remember the night before. Same here. You're not ready to just get out of bed and start gathering stuff. Nope. You got to lay there a while. You Two may hour have to minimum. Go, get on your knees and hug the toilet first. I mean, it is not. She just gets up and she like gone. Can't remember the night before, but at the same time, she's like, but she doesn't even feign a no, headache or she's, anything. She's just fully okay to just get her stuff. Even and, Chris does. Yeah. That's so weird. And then they're the only two that wake up. Obviously. Yeah, everybody like in a movie, else is looted up. They just lucky to be the first two to wake up. So at the very end, Kevin, here's a debate. What year? Does it take place where Chris starts the coffee shop band? To me, it looks like it should take place early to mid 90s. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. We think this movie starts in the mid 80s. It starts from the years we see when they do the montage oh, scene yeah. with the talking heads. It's 1985. Okay, so it's 85. He's in the band. Two years, I approximately think. Approximately one to two years. Yeah. So at the latest, it's 87. He pulls a guy up on stage. Four. And quits. Sometime around then, probably maybe a couple months before in Seattle, they break up. Emily, his ex-girlfriend, is moving to Seattle. He cuts his hair. He and- cuts his hair. So I think that after he quits, this is only six months to a year, maybe. And they did not do a great job of making sure you know it's that year no. because it comes across mid 90s. They're pushing you to believe that this is like 93. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's possible that like five years have passed, but it, it's just weird to me. But like basically what they're trying to perpetuate is like at first I'm like, they're really trying to make them look grunge. Yeah. You know, the sweater, the jeans, the flannel, like the whole look looks very nervous. But the sound, I would compare them to like Lilith Fair. 
Oh, it's very, yeah, it's very like, soft rock. It's like Natalie Merchant. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, kind of, oh. I almost compared it to if they were still kind of like at the end of hair metal transitioning pre-grunge, they're almost like Extreme or Mr. Big. Oh, yeah. Is like where they would fall into, like uh, more than words, Extreme. All they had to do was put a fucking ear on the screen. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Just put six months later. Exactly. Done. All right. What's the legacy of this movie? Well, we don't know because of September 11th. So what is the legacy of September 11th? Is maybe a more appropriate question. Yeah. We're we're still feeling it. Yeah. I just, I always thought it was a TV movie. So that's like the legacy. It's fine. I really haven't heard Marky Mark talk much about Rockstar anymore. No. If you want to watch it, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. It's right in the middle of the road. It doesn't hold up their, you know, their inclusion perspective, but yeah, it's a lot of questionable things they do in this movie very questionable things all right well stick around for some plugs pool sceners once again thank you for listening to this episode of the show and don't forget as always like comment subscribe rate and follow apple spotify and podbean you leave us a five-star review and we read it on the air we'll send you out a bit of a prize also don't forget check us out on facebook instagram and twitch you guys are unsure how to get there we have a one-stop shop now and it's called linktree l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash pool scene podcast if you guys would like to contribute to the show in any way help for future content maybe even put it towards a cup of coffee for us there is a link at the top of the link tree that will send you to basically a tip jar we love you guys and thank you once again and now back to kevin final lap guy yeah the final lap So for the final lap, I have a couple like stories about the the cautionary tale of being a celebrity and the standards of being a celebrity and such. So first, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, so it's a little dated at this point, not topical any longer is maybe it is the Jonathan Major situation. I'm not familiar. So Jonathan Majors is he's in Creed three. He's playing. Oh, okay. 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 Never mind. Kang in the Marvel movies yeah. for the next several. So Jonathan Majors was just arrested for beating a woman violently. And over the past year or so, we've been seeing all these stories where people in the industry have been saying, you know, and there's speculation about who it was, but there is like, there is a current person in Hollywood who is starting to get offered a ton of roles and becoming a major star who is an absolute piece of shit person. They're awful. They're violent. They're scary. And they should not be allowed to be in this position. But nobody would name names. So now Jonathan Majors gets arrested. And all of those people that came forward with those stories have said, we were talking about Jonathan Majors. Whoa. He has had... He was on stage at the Oscars, too. He's had a dark history. You know, a lot of issues. A lot of violent issues against women. Creed three. it's done you know, whatever. But what does Marvel do? He's going to be the face. He is the Thanos of the next phase of Marvel. Well, then again, Marvel has done this in the past with... Well, they replaced Terrence Howard yeah. with... And they didn't address... It just happened. Yeah. Oof. Multiverse. That's how they Actually, do it. They could. They could just say something happened here and this is the king from this multiverse. You know, it, it's, so it's an easier way out for them to it's address. It's not to say it's not hard to believe that Marvel didn't... Uh, no, or Disney didn't know or... That they didn't do their, their homework. But it's like they were confident to proceed... And then, but see, but that's the thing. Like I, I was talking about to you earlier about WrestleMania and like, what happens if Roman Reigns snaps his leg in the main event of WrestleMania? 
Yeah. But it's sort of like with Disney and Marvel, it's like, okay, Jonathan, we're going to put all of our eggs in your basket. Oops. And you need to, you know, walk the line. And then he gets arrested for beating a woman. So it's like, I don't know what they do. I mean, I guess... The multiverse seems like the easiest way to do it. I didn't even think about that, that they rewrite a Kang from a different multiverse. They're going to have to get rid of them. They have to. Marvel's owned by Disney. You have to. Yeah, they have to. They can't. Even if the charges get dropped. Can't have it. You can't have. It's the old, like, speaking of WWE again, it's the old, we cannot Google you and find something bad. Exactly. So. You can't have that OnlyFans. No. So weird. I mean, just a weird, bizarre situation because they play on everything so many years in advance. He's probably got five, six movies to be involved in. They could use it, like twist it into some sort of Thanos snap. I think the thing I actually think what somebody, whatever the next Marvel movie is, they're probably already like thing, and people are already getting Marvel fatigue. Yeah. So I think so it's, too. yeah. And then the second celebrity lives, a celebrity. So that's not like, I don't want to use the word like cancel culture, because that's a terrible thing to do regardless of whether you're a celebrity or a regular person. But if a regular person does that, there's no like, yeah, you know, my job's not like, well, how do we keep, um, you know, like how do we continue? No, you're fucking gone. Yeah. You're gone. But like being a celebrity, I'm sure they're having a boardroom meeting where they're like, how can we keep him? And second, Again, another one that ties into wrestling. So in the 80s, when people, and we talked about this in um, in Body Slam, people were still believed in wrestling, in, in kayfabe, and that wrestling was real. And in the South, especially, they'd get so mad at the heels. The heels, the bad guys, would have to leave the arena in the trunk of a car so that they weren't mobbed by fans. They got piss cups thrown at them. Some were stabbed. Yeah. They were, Batteries. Yeah. They were targets. I mean, they literally had to, like, live afraid of crowds, you know, even and going to the grocery store if you were a heel you might get stabbed at the grocery store yep. because you you know did whatever there was a rumor that appears to have been confirmed that taylor swift on her tour has been entering the arena in I a janitor's that. cleaning cart that they are pushing her into the arena in a cleaning cart hopefully it's clean yeah it's not used but like how how crazy is that Fuck. you know don't they have and, to get her in and out that way? I don't think way? they're trying to stab her or anything, but no. uh, but I think that's more of like a... The Swifties be cray. Yeah, I don't... I think she just, for her own sanity. Would you want to be famous to that point? <sighs> When's enough enough? That's what I mean. Like, there is a... You need to go just take a piss, man. Not to use the term sweet spot again, but yes, there is a sweet spot with famous, rich, comfortable, great life, love what you do. And then it crosses the line to where, like, I can't go grocery shopping. I couldn't go to Starbucks. You have no life. I can't drive. I live in hiding. You're basically. in a bubble. Yes. So you spoke of it. So I'm going to bring it up. Fucking that piece of shit Vince McMahon seems to be back, everybody. Everybody's 80-year-old creepy fucking grandpa with the questionable just-for-men eyebrows and the John Waters mustache. What the fuck? Like, why does the world need this son of a bitch to be around anymore? It, I mean, if you watch, like, God, Succession, and you have Logan Roy playing the role of Vince McMahon, these people just have such massive egos, egos and attachment to what they've built and they can't let it go even to their own kids even to people they trust they just have to some like i've always felt like vince hated the fans oh he definitely does. and like more than ever now it feels like i'm still here i can't can't I let can't him let have go. it i can't 
can't let the fans win. I've got to like continue to keep the fans from getting what they want. Well, WWE finally, so they've been for sale. They finally, in a way, completed a sale, but it's not really a sale. It's a merger with the UFC and the ownership group Endeavor. And there appears to be details from Endeavor about their relationship to Vince McMahon specifically. And now I don't know whether that is like Vince said, listen, if we do this deal, I want this. Well, they're making him executive chairman of the new company, but he can be voted out at a later date. Right. So I don't know. Vince said, I want this. Or if Endeavor said, you can do whatever you want. We trust you. Or if Endeavor said, listen, if we do this deal, we want you in charge. We don't trust Triple H. Yeah. So I'm not sure. But they made him like an executive chairman. And Nick Khan is the president of WWE yeah. and Dana White. So you got two big guys on each side of the gamut, Dana White and Vince McMahon. Yeah. Two equal pieces of shit. Yeah. And speaking of another piece of shit, boy, that, uh, that Robert Ritchie, uh, a.k.a. Kid Rock, little pissy that yeah. he decided to post a video because... Bud Light came out with like a all inclusion, like rainbow colored can saying, hey, we're for everybody. Good old mega kid rock. That piece of shit decided to pull out his AR-15 after we've been having these mass shootings left, right and center and decides to shoot up a couple cases of Bud Light. Well, Dylan Mulvaney, who is a, a trans woman, her face is on the can. Yeah. But not cans sold in store. Commemorative cans. Yeah. But it doesn't take much with them. They no. get so angry about literally every little thing. How many companies did they boycotted at this point? Well, the funny thing is, though, a lot of them came out and said, well, fuck you, Bud Light. We're going to Coors Light. Coors Light releases oh, yeah. a statement saying, yeah. hey, assholes, we're all for everybody yeah. here. There's a video of a guy who is literally like throwing away hundreds of cans of Bud Light from his garage fridges. And it's like, dude, you already paid for those. You first fucking off. dipshit. You're so stupid. You already paid for those. He's throwing the cans away. And then he replaces them in the fridge with Coors Light. And it's like, you are literally so stupid. Yeah. And it's like, hey, people come here to listen to an escape, but I will unequivocally say I have no place for hateful pieces of fucking shit. I'm sorry. I just don't. Kid Rock, Vince McMahon, go around. Right into that fucking yeah. gamut. It, it's just so funny that those are the people that call people snowflakes. Exactly. They're the ones who like call people snowflakes. And then they are the ones who are so upset yeah. by the smallest things. Why do you care what's on your fucking can? Exactly. I don't put a whatever, put whatever on my can. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to drink. If I like it, I'm going to drink it. Whatever. Exactly. Doesn't matter to me. Here's a better idea. Learn how to ride a bike down New York city streets. Okay. There's the big one. <laughs> yeah. Laughed at that video 700 times yeah, already today. Awesome. I got back from California. I was there about a week. Okay, uh, we got the California virus. I did. I brought something home. I was, I worked at a trade show for a couple of days and then just at the airport, like at the trade show at the airport, just hear people coughing, hear people sniffling. You're shaking hands. Like I was like, it's going to be a miracle. It's hard don't. enough that if you fly, cause you're on a tin can with yeah. sick people and compressed air. So it's a miracle if you travel and don't get sick. But this one, I was like, I'm doomed. I'm going to get sick. It's like every time I go to like a convention, I'm like, it's going to happen. So now though, there's this new like fear I've unlocked where every time I get sick, I j- I've taken two COVID tests. Like I 
routine. I just am like, it's fucking COVID. I got COVID and it's not COVID, but I'm still like, what if it's COVID? Because I just don't know what normal is anymore yeah. just to be sick. There's really no norm, and, new uh, normal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about California at a later time, but it was a good trip. We went to, we were to San Diego for a couple of days. We went to Disneyland. We went to. Kevin did not go to WrestleMania. Los Angeles. I did see a lot of WrestleMania fans who were in Los Angeles with me, but I did not go to SoFi. But I had a good time. We had a good time. We're happy to be back. I had a, kind of a rough flight home because we took the red eye, left at 925. And Los Angeles time. Yeah. TSA took an hour <laughs> before we got through security. So we went to the airport a couple hours early. We had to drop off the rental car. We were going to get some dinner. So we like went to the airport a couple hours, like earlier than normal. And I'm yeah. glad we did. Took an hour to get through TSA. But after flying overnight, because you lose three hours flying on the way home yep. from, so a four hour flight's a seven hour flight because you lose three hours. So we land, it's 425, 455 in the morning, something like that. And we land, they say, uh, Baggage is at Carousel L. So we go to Carousel L, waiting on her luggage, not coming out, not coming out, not coming out. Girl has a walkie-talkie, and she could just walkie-talkie, but she goes, I'm going to go find out what's going on, because I have a feeling if she would have walkie-talkied and somebody would have heard the answer, they're damn near, you would think, might have been a riot. She would have had to get <laughs> snuck out on a janitor cart. She goes and finds out. But anyway, long story short, an hour later for our luggage to come out. So I, so I've, after been, five in the morning I've been now. awake almost 24 hours, because I think on... On Saturday, I think I woke up at about 5.30 a.m., so probably about 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, and I'm here at 5 a.m. waiting Ugh. an hour for my luggage to come out, and I still have to drive home from Pittsburgh. I'm not stoked. No. I'm not like, and it gets great. worse the older we get. And I just, I don't understand why. I mean, there's like always crazy customer service shit with the airlines, but, but yeah, we're happy to be back. I'll talk about the uh, LA trip, I guess at a later point, but yeah. uh, had a good time. So next week, something special and timely. Oh yeah. And then we're going to return to the world of hair metal. Yeah. We're going to get a, a sort of a real perspective. This is movie sort of like a, so Rockstar was sort of like a cheesy interpretation of the genre. Very cheesy. We're going to get down and dirty with the, the true, the drugs and the women. Nickelback. Yeah. We're going to talk all about <laughs> Chad Kroger, the four hour episode. Yeah. Four hour episode on old ramen hair. <laughs> all right. Until next week, everyone. Silencia. No more metal shit. It's all about hip hop. It's all gravy. It's all bling, bling, pinky ring. Word about fitty, bling, bling. All that shit. No more of this. Alright, you heard me? Lay your shit by the TV and watch this shit here. This shit the bomb. You heard me?